This is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm your host, Amy Brown. Last week, a panel of Maine-based activists spoke in Belfast at an event called Connecting Our Struggles, Corporations or Communities. Panelists Nikki Sakara of Community Water Justice, Matt Wagner of No to NECEC, Ellie Daniels of Local Citizens for Smart Growth, and John Banks, the Natural Resources Director for the Penobscot Nation, talked about tensions between corporate interests and efforts to protect and preserve communities. This morning on Main Currents, we have the first part of that panel discussion. Part two will air on Radioactive this afternoon at 4.30. Uh, welcome everyone, I'm Meredith from the Peace and Justice Group. We open with the recognition that we are on Wabanaki land. And we're grateful to the Wabanaki peoples for the caretaking of this land and these waters for past, present, and future generations. Thank you. I'm going to turn this over to Jason, who will introduce the panel and our moderator. We've got four activists up here today who are, um, who are part of their communities and, and their communities have been adversely and continue to be adversely affected by corporate activities and that's the focus of, of our panel tonight. Um, the question corporations or communities is one of the biggest uh, and most important questions that we have um, that we have facing us these days and we're glad to have all of these people to address that. So thank you so much and if there's one quick takeaway that I can offer succinctly to the corporation, it is corporations, it, it is this. We have, a, uh, we have a vision for our home and it, and it doesn't involve you calling the shots just because that you sometimes talk pretty and have a lot of money before you. We're so happy to have with us tonight Dawn Neptune Adams as our narrator. Dawn's a journalist and she's an activist. She comes to us straight from the State House today where she as well as other people in this room, we're showing up today to, uh, to support the, the uh, Penobscot people's right to sustenance fishing. Thank you, Don. Kwe Kwe. And Louise Don Neptune Adams, Nian Banawebskewi. Uh, hello, welcome. My name is Dawn Neptune Adams and I am Penobscot. I, I just want to give a quick welcome and hello and thank you all very much for being here. Uh, it shows how much you care about your community and the lives of all the relatives in your community. Not just the two-leggeds, but the fish, the plants, the four-leggeds, everybody. It shows how much you care that you're here. Um, my, uh, my statement um, about the corporations was a lot like Jason's, the one I had planned to say today, and that is that it is your community and you are the ones who should be deciding uh, what corp corporate influences, if any, should be allowed in your community. This is where you live, this is where you're raising your children, and this is where you expect to be safe. Um, safe from pollution, safe from, from harmful effects, and, and safe just to be, to exist. Um, I am an activist, uh, but I am here tonight uh, with my media hat on as moderator. I'm here as a, a member of the Sunlight Media Collective, and I hope to do um, 
a really good job of of helping everybody come to an understanding of the truth that is uh, your community. So thank you very much. I'm John Banks. I'm the Natural Resources Director for Penobscot Nation. I'm a tribal member of Penobscot Nation. I've been working uh, for my tribe since 1980, following the enactment of the 1980 Maine Indian Land Claims Act. I had the awesome and honorable responsibility to establish our natural resource management programs at the tribe, and it's been uh, quite a ride. Um, I want to start out by telling you a story about uh, an interaction I had one time with the Daughters of the American Revolution. <laughs> so it was a noontime thing, and I was invited to speak to the Daughters of the American Revolution. And um, I did a talk about the Penobscot River and our history and how important the Penobscot River is to our tribe. We owe our lives to the Penobscot River. You know, we uh, thrived for 10,000 years, according to the archaeologists, without a Route 1, without a Hannaford supermarket, without a drugstore. And just, just think about that, just for a minute. Just think of 10,000 years living in the woods. All of the plants had a use, and our ancestors knew all of those. Of course, we can't live that way now because a lot of our resources have been contaminated or otherwise uh, impacted. So, okay, so I'm doing this talk with the Daughters of the American Revolution. I finished my talk, and one of them said, uh, they gave me an education after I got done talking. They said that uh, in no uncertain terms, Mr. Banks, if it was not for the Penobscot Indian Nation and the other Wabanaki tribes in Maine, the American Revolution may have gone a very different way. And uh, so they were telling me about the role that my tribe played uh, in working hand in hand with the colonists in the American Revolution. And so I was really interested in that. I started doing a little bit of research and studying that and talking to uh, a bunch of historians. And uh, they told me, I learned about an agreement that we had with the colonial government back in 1755, I believe it was, where we were uh, told, and this is in writing, that if we joined the colonists in the fight against the uh, British, uh, the Brits, in the American Revolution, that they would swear to protect our lands and fisheries in perpetuity. Those are the words that were used. Somewhere along the line, somebody has a different definition of perpetuity, I guess. So, and then our struggles go back to the very early days of this, this country. In the colonial times, we have stories about our tribal leaders paddling to Boston, Massachusetts in birch bark canoes down the Atlantic Ocean to Boston to protest the first building of the dams down in southern Maine. 
in the, uh, on the Presumpscuit River. And so we have a very long history of being environmental advocates. Um, so we, we, uh, we believe that, uh, you know, we've evolved so closely with the river. We have a reciprocal relationship with her. And uh, we, we often say that the river is us. We are the river. It flows in our veins. It defines who we are as a people. And Western science can now prove that. They had to invent a science called quantum physics in order to prove that we are indeed the river. <laughs> so uh, we're talking here tonight about uh, community involvement. And so I can divide that up into, for this talk into uh, two segments. There's the, the tribe itself, and then there's the uh, outside people outside of the tribe. So with the tribe, uh, the one thing that they always come together on is the river. You know, we have some, some awful knock-down, drag-out council meetings sometime, tribal council meetings. But usually when the river's on the agenda, uh, everybody comes together. And everybody recognizes the importance of the river to us. And then working outside of the tribe, uh, I'm really so pleased at uh, groups like this. We have so many allies now that realize that, you know, we're all in this together. And today, some of us were in Augusta at a hearing before the uh, Environment and Natural Resources Committee uh, where the, they were hearing a bill that's going to set water quality standards that are protective of sustenance fishing. And it was a great hearing. Uh, there was nobody uh, opposed to this bill. And I looked around the room and we have so many friends. And I just want to say thank you to all of you for your support and your uh, caring of this wonderful environment that we all share. Thank you. All right, so I'm Matt Wagner. Uh, I do live right up the road in Knox, um, but I'm actually here representing my community uh, where I lived and worked for 10 years with my wife in Western Maine, uh, which is the greater Forks area. Um, how many folks have traveled up Route 201 through Jackman and to Quebec? Just a quick show of hands. So you guys are familiar with my first slide here. Um, this is the area that we're talking about protecting. Uh, this is the area that CMP would like to bring uh, 54 miles of new transmission corridor through. If you travel through Franklin and Somerset County, you can't miss the signs. Um, but it's pretty quiet here on the coast, uh, so we're hoping to change that here tonight. Um, so I am just a regular guy, not a public speaker. I don't have an official role. I'm a former whitewater guide, uh, and some of us last April found out about this in a public meeting at our town office. Our town has 40 people, so uh, the population is room uh, by half. Um, we immediately realized that we had to do something, and we were being told that this was a done deal, and we couldn't believe that, um, that somebody would just put a 300-foot-wide corridor with 100-foot towers right through this area. Uh, so we started organizing, and it has is, is sort of exploded uh, into the public realm. Um, 
but I'm here to talk about our responsibilities. So I am on the board of a group called Say No to NECEC. The CMP acronym for this is the New England Clean Energy Connect. Um, a horrible misnomer if you go to Labrador and see what they've done uh, to Northern Labrador. So here's where we started last April. Without any public knowledge of this project, uh, Central Maine Power Company managed to go out and get letters that were sort of vague, uh, collected by every community along the corridor saying that they supported the construction of this corridor. Now, most uh, town officials didn't actually know what they were signing, uh, though the letters did come with uh, implications that by cooperating, the town would receive a windfall in property taxes. Um, so about 12 months later, uh, we have a new map. And uh, this new map shows us where actual towns, once we got an opportunity to organize and vote, landed. Uh, so some of the gray ones up here aren't actually towns. Um, so they didn't get to vote. Uh, some of them have. Moose River, Jackman, all the way down, uh, have basically uh, either rescinded support or refused to support or actively opposing. And then the green towns are towns with the exception of Pownall, um, which I can't read, but down in here, they rescinded, uh, they voted to rescind last night. So we haven't got the map updated. But they're drop. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we didn't take it sitting down. Um, and this is actually my first public speaking engagement where I haven't been accompanied by John Carroll, the spokesperson for CMP. So. Thanks, John. Sorry to see you couldn't make it tonight. This is important um, because a lot of people don't realize that this transmission corridor is not a power reliability project. It has nothing to do with relying, with delivering uh, secure energy to our homes or powering main homes. This is a straight pass through to Massachusetts, and it's a merchant line. Um, this is an exclusively for-profit development. It has nothing to do um, with providing energy to Maine or baseload power to Maine or clean energy, frankly, anywhere. Um, so this is an important slide, and I wanted to read it um, to you guys. Uh, of their touted $18 million benefits to the town, the CMP has actually made no promises to any towns, and there's no guarantee of net revenue benefit for Somerset County. So. That's, that's where my heart is. Uh, ad additional personal property assessments for new transmission lines will be offset by the degradation and devaluation of real estate values and business per performance values. This is an area that depends almost exclusively on recreation and tourism industries, uh, which require this sort of pristine environment that we do have. Um, this is a merchant project, an elective transmission upgrade that's being requested by Massachusetts not a typical public utility, it's not the MPRP project. And the public utilities certificate, which they did uh, get, will allow for them to use uh, eminent domain and use free reign in this area for eminent domain in the future. So we have some bills in Congress right now where we're actually trying to strip that out. And there is phenomenal bipartisan support for this. Um, some people still need some more help understanding the issue, but. Did I do good on time? 
You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. I'm your host, Amy Brown. This panel discussion on connecting our struggles, corporations, or communities was recorded in Belfast last week by Meredith DeFrancesco. The panelists are Nikki Sakara of Community Water Justice, Matt Wagner of No to NECEC, Ellie Daniels of Local Citizens for Smart Growth, and John Banks, a Natural Resources Director for the Penobscot Nation. The moderator is Don Neptune Adams. So my name is Ellie Daniels, and uh, I live here in Belfast, and I have since uh, the 80s. I came to Maine in the 70s. I, I came to Piscataquis County as uh, part of the Back to the Land movement and moved down to beautiful Waldo County in the early 80s and uh, have lived in and around Belfast since then. Um, I've owned a business for 25 years on Lower Main Street, the Green Store. And um, three years ago, I, I bought a house on the outskirts of town, on the south side of town, and uh, I thought it was gonna be my uh, the last house that I purchased um, until Nordic Aqua Farms came to the beautiful city of Belfast. So Belfast, uh, as most of you know, it has a long history of industry, of fishing, farming, and hardworking people. It's a great town. It had an influx of back-to-the-landers in the 1970s, and there was a, um, lots of mixing of the new and old ideas and energies, which I think benefited everybody all around. Uh, it was known for a long time as the broiler, as in chicken broilers, the broiler capital of the Northeast. And uh, also, we did a lot of manufacturing here of shoes and sardines and uh, big lobster industry and potatoes and seaside cottages. And I mentioned seaside cottages because uh, they came with their own discharge into the bay along with the chicken effluent. And 30 years later, what we see is that uh, Penobscot Bay is really just recovering from uh, the 80s, the 70s, um, the 60s. And since then, we've had a string of uh, larger industry come in that have um, had benefits and uh, sometimes disadvantages, but um, have helped to lift Belfast forward into what, what it is today, which is uh, considered one of the most desirable places to move to um, in the Midcoast area. Uh, MBNA, uh, which, which a lot of us had worries about that came in the mid-90s um, and, and ended up being really terrific corporate citizens, uh, helped us take down our chicken plant that was full of as asbestos, uh, helped us to um, bring up up uh, the waterfront, uh, clean up a lot of mess down there. Uh, they were bought out by Bank of America, who um, eventually left town and uh, just a few years ago got a half a million dollars in tax abatement because their buildings weren't worth what they weren't once were. Athena Health, which uh, which sometimes uh, feels secure and sometimes insecure in terms of um, how long they'll be here. Front Street Shipyard, which is uh, a, a very exciting industry to have down on our uh, harbor. It uh, seems very uh, simpatico with um, the heritage of the town, and um, they're doing a good job of allowing access across their property and so forth. Um, these are all the new kids on the block. So four months of secret meetings took place before the public had any awareness of what was coming. 
So uh, February 1st, 2018, let's see if I can remember what I wrote today. Uh, there was an announcement. Uh, it was complete with uh, then Governor LePage and uh, Maine and Company and uh, the big wigs from Chimbro and so forth came in and uh, had a lot of hoopla and announced to the public for the first time that uh, that Nordic Aqua Farms was proposing to uh, build uh, what was going to be one of the largest land-based um, CAF operations. CAF is an EPA term. It stands for Concentrated Aquatic Animal uh, Feeding uh, Facility um, uh, in, the, in the globe, around the globe. Uh, it would involve the destruction or the alteration, at least, of 56 acres of mature biodiverse greenway with the possibility uh, in our own zoning ordinance of making 70% of that acreage impervious with buildings or roadways. Uh, our zoning also allows for 45-foot tall buildings with just 50-foot setbacks, although uh, uh, the City Council graciously um, has said that we could have a 75-foot setback along Route 1 where that beautiful view is. Uh, the buildings uh, will uh, are estimated to cover an area of 22 football fields. So a lot of people uh, that I talk to really have no concept of um, the scope of this thing, 22 football fields. And uh, this involved a change in zoning from residential two to industrial. And this was in disregard of the intent of our active uh, comprehensive plan, which designated this part of the city for uh, rural and uh, undisturbed kinds of um, activities. So uh, this, this facility is going to involve massive amounts of water in and uh, effluent out, um, including uh, they've trimmed the uh, amount of fresh water that they would like to pull up from the deep water wells from 1,200 to 450 gallons per minute, which is 324,000 gallons a day uh, and uh, 236 million gallons a year, plus an additional up to 263, but a minimum of 100 million gallons from the Belfast Water District, totaling uh, half a billion gallons of water, fresh water, a year. Nearly half as much water as is extracted from all four of Maine's Nestle operations together. It's also going to put out into the bay up to 7.7 .7 million gallons of discharge daily. 99% of the solids are going to be captured on the way out. But the remaining effluent is going to contain about 1,500 pounds of soluble nitrogen, which incidentally is 10 pounds more than our own Belfast wastewater treatment plant, and 6 to 8 pounds of phosphorus and 380 pounds of remaining solids. And then the other thing that has happened here is uh, we have witnessed uh, a tremendous loss of democratic process. Um, city officials negotiated with Nordic for four months behind closed doors. Um, they said this was necessary for um, the business dealing. The city uh, requested and was granted a waiver of an eight-month waiting period that the PUC uh, allows for the sale of something like a quasi-public uh, water, uh, uh, water company. 
Then the city council fast-tracked a change of zoning from residential to industrial on that land. We had 152 letters of opposition that were submitted and 52 people who testified against this project, mostly just saying, slow down, we need to learn more. Uh, at city council hearings, this was in April of 2018. And then uh, that same evening, the council voted 5-0 to accept the zoning change. And uh, that was the birth of the organization that I represent, Local Citizens for Smart Growth. There's a second group called Upstream Watch that has uh, joined with the Maine Lobstering Unit, uh, Union to oppose. And uh, a Butters, of which I am one, uh, filed a lawsuit against the city alleging failure to follow and properly amend the comprehensive plan according to the state statute and failure to follow procedures of the zoning, our own zoning ordinance requiring input from the planning board and citizens. So uh, Nordic Aqua Farms uh, since then has, uh, uh, I would say, captured the local press um, in that uh, citizens, uh, local citizens for smart growth have not uh, been given room to write an op-ed. We can submit our letters, but we can't write an op-ed. Uh, and they use the time-tested strategy of divide and conquer in this town and uh, we've seen wide divisions very much what's like what's happening on the national level um, arise within this community and um, as a community member i feel pretty devastated by the changes in our community so thank you for the opportunity to share this information and what we've learned with you and we welcome you to um, be in touch with us if you'd like to know more My name is Nikki Sakara. I live in Freiburg, Maine, and in 2012, uh, a group of local citizens in our community started a group called Community Water Justice. And um, we did that because um, we had uh, one of the, the world's largest food and beverage corporation, Nestle, engaging in a, a long-term contract with our private water utility that would last for up to 45 years. And this was against um, the, uh, the, the public there. And um, we ended up taking our case up to the Maine State Supreme Court, in which we learned through this process. And what they stated uh, in court was the Maine Public Utilities Commission that oversees such contracts, it's not within their purview to consider environmental impacts. So, yes. So this is a problem, right? Um, yeah, they're supposed to be looking out for us and for our well-being and health, but um, by all their appearances, they're more of a customer service agency than they are um, really offering true protections. And I think we've all been experiencing that in, in different ways through our struggles here. Um, and so, First, I think it's, let's take a, a 30,000 foot view for a moment here and look at um, where Maine is positioned globally as far as our water sources here in Maine. Let's see, the World Economic Forum recently um, said, stated that um, water scarcity is going to be the, one of the largest glo global risks in terms of potential impact over the next decade to come. And an estimated 35% of the world's population currently lacks access to clean drinking water. And this is through privatization, pollution, 
um, drought, misappropriation, you name it. Uh, and by 2025, an estimated 1.8 billion people will be living in countries or regions with absolute water scarcity. So corporations such as Nestle are poised to um, present solutions to these water scarcity issues by shipping resources around the globe for private profit. So we really, uh, Maine lacks uh, legal infrastructure to protect us from such exploits. Uh, in, in towns like Freiburg, where I live, they're able to um, take water for one-tenth of one cent per gallon on a prorated scale. So actually, the more they pump, the less they pay. So it's hard for us as a frontline community, um, a, a poor rural community, to find the equity in this relationship, right? And in some communities like Denmark, Maine, they pay nothing for the water that they take. And with all the plastic waste that they create with their plastic bottles, that's another externality that really needs to be considered quite quickly because as we're learning as, um, you know, whales are washing ashore and all of our sea life, you know, by uh, 2025 it's stated that there'll be as much plastic matter in our oceans as there are marine life. So we're on this collision course and we really need to take a, a sharper look and do what we can in this moment to try to reduce these externalities so our future generations will have a better chance of survival and a happy and healthy future. So in Maine, I think because we lack the legal infrastructure, uh, we, we have an old law in our books called absolute dominion, which essentially um, means you have access, full access, you know, to the mining rights on your land, so, which would include the water. So um, all the water that's under your land, you also have rights and access to. Now, this old law also includes the idea of collectivism, so you shouldn't pump so much that you're affecting your neighbor. But in the state of Maine, and not updating these laws, we've effectively have, I don't know, about 35 pieces of legislation overlying that that make that relatively ineffective. So um, and in this, this current environment in the state of Maine where we have so much lobbying power for private corporations over our water sources, it's been really hard to change laws that are more meaningful, up to date, and will provide us the protections that we seek. Well, currently, um, Nestle has uh, 10 different towns in which they pump water from with 11 different extraction wells. Uh, they they've added two additional sites in the past one and a half years. And currently what they're taking out of Maine equals about 850 gallons per person in the state of Maine for export. And they are definitely growing. I don't know if anybody saw the recent release that they have this new Poland Spring Origin brand that they're marketing in the West now. So, you know, with this new marketing ploy and this new bottled water, we can accept, you know, we can expect to see um, more extraction sites and, um, you know, a larger market for our water. Spring water comes at a higher premium, so it's really being pushed um, in, other, in other places. And so as we open up uh, our seaports and some of the seaport plans that we have and expanding our rail access, I think we can also expect this to be moved to our global markets faster and cheaper cost to them with upgrades in our rail infrastructure that are proposed. So let's see. 
I want to, I'll, I'll touch upon another um, issue that's growing currently. So uh, it's not just Nestle in the room that we're identified as a problem, but it's the privatization of our public water systems. Right? And so maybe some of you in here are in a community where Maine Water Company runs your public water supply. Uh, Maine Water Company is actually, um, the parent company is Connecticut Water um, out of Connecticut. And they're currently going through a $2.6 billion merger with San Jose Water out of California. And once this merger is complete, they'll be the third largest private water utility in the United States. And um, a lot of people don't understand this and what's going on. You know, Maine Water Company sounds like a good local water company. But through these, um, you know, these transactions that are going on and Wall Street coming in and getting a cut of our water and our, our service systems, um, we can expect in the future prices to rise and a lack of access for people. So giving up our local control of these resources are lo uh, is a huge problem, especially looking into the future because these private corporations have a 100-year plan for Maine, but Maine does not have a 100-year plan for Maine and how we're going to best manage, best protect our resources. And it's not a matter of owning them, right? Because when we get into ownership, it's really tricky, and I think um, the Wabanaki have been really good at, at really leading on this conversation, these ideas of ownership, right? So, and I think, um, so Henry Kissinger, I think he said, you know, if you, if you have control over the oil, you can control the country. Uh, Vandana Shiva said, if you can control the food, you can control the democracy. But if you can control the water, you have control over the individuals and life itself. So we really want to be careful in how we assert the idea of control because we should all be stewards, right? We're all made up of 70% water and we all have a stake in this outcome. So we really need to protect it as we would life itself. So I'll just leave you with that thought. And sorry about that. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. I'm your host, Amy Brown. This panel discussion on connecting our struggles, corporations, or communities was recorded in Belfast last week by Meredith DeFrancesco. The panelists are Nikki Sakara of Community Water Justice, Matt Wagner of No to NECEC, Ellie Daniels of Local Citizens for Smart Growth, and John Banks, a Natural Resources Director for the Penobscot Nation. The moderator is Don Neptune Adams. Those presentations were wonderful and gave us a great overview of uh, some of the, the issues that we're facing in our communities. Uh, we have four questions here, and they're going to be posed to each of the panelists. Each panelist will have three minutes uh, to, to answer this question, uh, these questions. So we're going to start down here with John Banks. Uh, and the first question is since the issue or issues that you are pushing against in your community have surfaced, has there been a shift in democratic process that includes citizens? And can you comment on that? John Banks, Natural Resources Director for the Penobscot Nation. That's an easy one. So, yeah, like I was saying earlier, you know, when it comes to our stewardship responsibilities for the Penobscot River, people come together uh, pretty pretty much naturally. Um, has there been a, a shift? I don't know. I think um, 
I think, uh, you know, our tribal leaders for thousands of years have uh, protected these lands and, and resources and waterways uh, so that we are, you know, we're inheriting uh, what they have done in the past, our ancestors. And we always talk about making sure that we fully understand the impacts for the next several generations in the decisions that we make today. And so, uh, for speaking for the Penobscot Nation, I think we've been together on this issue for a very long time. Thanks, John. Matt Wagner of No to NECEC. So the way this went down in, in uh, Western Maine with the CMP corridor was, was pretty shocking and it took us uh, a little while to recalibrate and realize how long they had been working on this um, totally silently uh, and had co-opted some of the institutions that we thought were there to sort of protect us um, from things like this. Um, and I can go into specifics, um, but one of the most interesting things was that Central Maine Power Company created a nonprofit group called Western Mountains and Rivers Corporation, which is made up of a few rafting companies uh, that stand to benefit greatly. Janet Mills' brother, Peter Mills, um, and Maine Hudson Trails. Uh, they would benefit to the tune of, you know, I think about $15 million, because uh, now we're making them go under the Kennebec River Gorge. Originally, they were set to receive around $35 million and receive a land mitigation corridor down the Dead River and up the Kennebec River uh, to expand the main Hudson Trails system, which was going to also cross through a critical deer yard on the bank of the Kennebec River. So there's a, a lot of backhanded stuff that went on before the public found out about this. We actually found out about it after the opportunity to become an intervener in the DEP process closed. So most of the people didn't get an opportunity to intervene at the DEP, but did very actively intervene at the LUPC and at the PUC. Um, the PUC docket, which is now closed, we had over a thousand comments from the public in there. 0.02% of them uh, were supporting the project. And still the Public Utilities Commission, which is charged with protecting us uh, from this exact for-profit type of enterprise still has issued uh, the Certificate of Public Necessity and Convenience for a project that uh, does nothing for Maine. Um, so what we have found is that it takes a lot of money uh, to get involved and to be represented in the legal proceedings, which we did in the um, Land Use Planning Commission and the DEP, which had joint hearings out in Farmington uh, last month. Uh, it was very long. It was a very interesting process. Uh, it cost about $40,000 uh, to take part in. Um, there's no way that a member of the public could actually participate in that um, and, and face a panel of CMP attorneys. They would just dismember you and you would have every, everything you tried to do stricken from the record. It's, it's pretty shocking. Um, it's also shocking that those folks in those panels uh, from the DEP and LUPC aren't used to seeing that much public activity, and they really listen. And I, I can say that, you know, I really felt from the bottom of my heart that a lot of them did care, 
and we had two big public hearings uh, where the public got to come and give testimony in Farmington in their auditorium, and it was packed every night. Over 300 people a night testified. Um, so that was great. Um, it's given me a lot of hope to see the number of people that have gotten involved, and they're from all walks of life. Um, definitely both, both political parties um, have really banded together well on this uh, to try to protect what's left of rural Maine. The forest that we're talking about um, is one of the largest contiguous forests east of the Mississippi uh, that's unfragmented. A lot of people, how many people have actually been out in the Spencer Road area or you know, have some clue or Skinner or Lowell Town or, that's awesome. You don't see that very often around here. It's a really special area um, and CMP has put flyers in people's mailboxes, ads on your Pandora stations, uh, information in your uh, power bill uh, saying that this is a cutover industrial forest and there's no impact. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, in just a brief introduction to the area stop and say, whoa, what's this place? So um, that's what we're fighting for. So Ellie Daniels of Local Citizens for Smart Growth. Yeah, uh, so I think I described some of uh, what I've seen um, really shift in our community since um, the uh, challenge of uh, Nordic Aqua Farms came to our community. And I, I think the most uh, difficult thing uh, really began with our uh, the zoning change last April. So remember that the announcement was the 1st of February. Um, in March was the, the Belfast Water District uh, hearing that was required by the PUC. Um, most of us didn't realize that the city had requested and received a waiver uh, for the public comment period. And it took us a couple months to really catch up to what we needed to be doing uh, procedurally in order to um, keep ahead of um, these decisions that were being made about what was going to happen in our community. And so uh, really people got activated around the uh, zoning change. And um, there was a lot of uh, people saying, well, why isn't the planning board involved? And why aren't we having some community discussions about this? And, um, and there were no answers to that. And then uh, the, the process of having this um, very critical vote happen in our very small uh, council chamber with people overflowing the chamber, overflowing the hallway, overflowing the front room, um, not being able to sit anywhere for four hours while these deliberations and the testimony went on, and then having a short deliberation period and a 5-0 vote that was totally contrary to what the citizens were asking for. Um, it was uh, one of the most demoralizing things that I've ever been through. Um, and it also really activated us. And um, since then, our group has met every two weeks. Uh, we have a, a core group we call the hub that meets on the off week. Uh, and we always have, you know, anywhere from 20 to 40 people at our meetings. Um, people work on various things. Uh, we also uh, had uh, kind of a, a last um, 
a last minute run for three council seats. One person was on the ticket and two of us were run-ins and uh, no, none of us got elected, but uh, the person on the ticket came extremely close. And between the three of us, uh, we had what we took to be uh, a vote against Nordic Aqua Farms of 33% uh, of the voters um, who had to know our names to write them in in the correct ward on the ballot um, without us even being able to speak to them about our names at the balloting place. Um, so there's been uh, a, a lot of waking up that's happened. Uh, we've done trainings. Uh, there's been a lot of letters in the papers. We've been shut out of some of the press. And um, we are uh, really beginning to um, get angrier and angrier to the point of uh, looking at very basic things such as rights-based ordinances for this community. So more about that to come. Nikki Sakara of Community Water Justice. Uh, I had to stop writing the list that was of all the things that were coming into my mind. Um, you know, one a pattern that I've definitely noticed um, since I started working on this issue is a loss of democratic process in communities where Nestle is is trying to uh, secure contracts. Um, I've seen uh, community nonprofits spring up just to accept Nestle's donation to hand them out within the community how they see fit. So they're setting up a kind of a, their own, what I think of as a welfare system. Instead of paying what they should for water, they're funneling to certain civic groups. Um, and it really quiets opposition because, you know, once you receive money, because we're all strapped and we want to have money for our, our really wonderful community organizations to do good things for the community. But it's really going through the wrong channels in order to um, suppress dissident voices around this. Um, you know, depending on it, sometimes if I'm in the room or not, their facts change a little bit, I've noticed, as to how many jobs this will bring to the community. But when you start questioning them and doing your own research and proposing something different, they have shifted their conversation. Um, but that's really frustrating because it requires, you know, watchdogs to be there and present to, to ask them, you know, Re, you know, frame the question differently to bring out something that's closer to reality. Uh, let's see, recently um, in August, they held a community barbecue in the community of Denmark, Maine, where a question was asked in a, in a previous meeting when they were reviewing their five-year um, contract um, to the declining aquifer levels. So it was during the drought and there was a clear de decline in their aquifer and the hydrologist had said that it would take at least two years with normal rainfall for maybe it to come back up. Um, but that drew a lot of attention and concerns from citizens and so Later, Nestle hosted a community barbecue, invited people, and they had a different um, hydrologist to come in and explain away this decline. Um, and we had, there, some community members had a, a water um, quality professional come in to help them with the science, because the way that they present it is very confusing. And as, as smart as we are in our communities, not all of us can read the science that are presenting it or know how to ask other questions to, see what's not being shown. So, um, and this person got kicked out of the meeting and not allowed to attend. So we're seeing things like that. Uh, and in Rumford, Maine, they were in um, closed door negotiations with Nestle, the Rumford Water District. Um, and this is legal 
because um, they can use executive sessions, because um, Nestle's proprietary interests are protected. So they can go into executive sessions and have all of these conversations out of the public eyes and ears. And they updated their charter with um, some help from an outside lawyer um, who, was he connected to Nestle? Maybe. But they took out a provision in their charter when they updated it to allow the community to have a vote or say in how their water allocations will go. And this was before they got the permit from Nestle. So we're seeing a loss, a diminishing of our democracy in, in our rural areas. So um, that's been a huge concern and problem. And so, yeah. So the second question in our lineup <clears throat> is, how is information shared about the issue in your community, locally, statewide, and nationally? Well, social media has been a great tool, obviously, because it's somewhat free. <laughs> we have to pay for internet, right? But, but it's also a challenge because in rural areas, not everybody is connected to the internet or can afford it or is in a place where they have access to it. So um, I found, like, get the good people with gossip <laughs> to talk about the issue, right? You know, <laughs> if you tell the wind, the trees will know. Um, that's helpful. Um, but there's some really good connected people um, um, in communities. And that's how we share information that it means the most. Because especially, you know, with contentious issues, like the Nestle issue is contentious. There's a few people in our town that stand to benefit from that relationship with Nestle that own shares in the water company and the large landowners that get some money to not develop their land um, to protect some areas over the aquifer. So there is some benefit to some people. Uh, and so it becomes very contentious, especially where we have a lot of um, conflicts of interest that seem to plague um, our town with town positions. Um, so sometimes it's not always safe to be public because these are also our neighbors. And how do we live with this divide? And still, how can we come together on other issues that are also important and not alienate each other? So when I think about communications, there's many different modes in, to get the word out nationally. I'm also communicating with people in other areas. And I often don't like to talk about this in public because Nestle has ears everywhere. Um, they've infiltrated the state. They've effectively colonized our state house. When you go up there and you see their lobbying power, I mean, it's impressive. It really is. And it's, it's hard to, to move around and it's hard to breathe in some spaces. But um, yeah, so anyway, there's many ways to communicate about an issue, but use your creative selves. But it's really important, as passionate as we are about these issues, really you know, have those one-on-one -on -one conversations. I think that's the most valuable thing and that I have to say about it, too, um, besides that. So yeah. This is Ellie Daniels of Local Citizens for Smart Growth. So um, in this community, I would say that uh, there have been um, 
There's the information sharing that has been controlled by Nordic, um, and these take uh, the form of informational meetings. Um, the city uh, paid for the venue for these informational meetings um, until we called them on it, and uh, as far as I know, they've uh, stopped paying for those meetings, but perhaps I'm uh, not aware, and they still are paying. Uh, and these meetings were um, uh, uh, very well done, very... Uh, uh, good visuals, uh, you know, artists rendering, kind of photographic wowie zowie, and uh, a lot of um, impressive um, promises of technology and so forth. And um, also, uh, at one particular meeting, I remember where there were uh, was testimony allowed. Uh, in the first meeting, uh, the the microphone was controlled by uh, Nordic Aqua Farms, and if you began to make a um, and uh, you know, disagreeable uh, comment or um, press on something, uh, you lost the microphone. And there was some chasing around after the microphone even. In the second meeting, we were allowed to uh, present testimony and ask questions, and uh, there was a series of so-called experts um, present from places like the uh, feed company and so forth. And, um, and yet, uh, there was no answers. And then we were told to step back and let other people, which uh, we certainly wanted everybody to have a chance to present their testimony. Um, in the next meeting, uh, I don't remember exactly what happened, but um, uh, basically there's been uh, four informational meetings, if I'm remembering correctly, that have all just kind of um, increased in the amount of spin and marketing um, as opposed to um, hard facts and science. And at the same time, I have to say that uh, the uh, social media has been um, recently uh, picked up by Nordic Aqua Farms and used to largely um, discredit those of us who have opposing views about it, who have spent literally hours of our lives um, on top of uh, our jobs and our families and uh, our just our uh, happiness of life in the last year to research um, into an area that we never thought we would uh, uh, learn anything about. Um, and I can tell you more about uh, hydrogeology and uh, fish, fish feed, and you know what comes out the other end and goes out the pipe, and what's filtered and what's not, and how viruses are or aren't affected by ultraviolet light, and blah blah blah, and pheromones and caramones and the, the lobster industry and this study and that, and absolute dominion and water and the difference between a watershed and an aquifer. I mean, it, it has been an exhaustive thing, and. Uh, social media is used to discredit us as uh, chicken littles, as uh, NIMBYs, as um, uh, people who don't need to work, as people who don't care about paying their taxes, and, uh, and then to get called out in one of the op-eds that we're not allowed to submit to in our local paper as being xenophobic towards Norwegian people. <laughs> now, Recently, we had uh, a really wonderful occurrence where one of the reporters for that particular newspaper um, quit working for that newspaper and moved to another newspaper and has been uh, doing some excellent writing. And thank you very much to that, uh, I shall not name him, reporter. Um, there just is a confusion um, and a blind faith in this marketing and spin that I'm talking about. And, uh, and I don't, for one minute, believe that it is about facts and science, because if you sit and study, as we 
we do these informational meetings, you find that the targets are always moving. They're always moving. And it uh, ranges from the length of the pipe out into the bay to what they are or aren't or might or might not feed the fish, the number of trucks coming in and out of the plant, uh, what the buffer. I actually, uh, we received a phone call when they bought 17 more acres directly behind my house to reassure us that uh, they had bought that 17 acre piece of land to um, provide more buffer for uh, the residences over there that were directly abutting the property. And there's three of us directly abutting the property. And uh, so what do we get? At the fourth informational, we see that the first building, which is the largest building, and remember these buildings are going to cover 22 football fields, 45 feet in height, not including the solar panels, which are going to generate, 22 football fields are going to generate 6 to 10% of their energy. Isn't that amazing? And did you know that they are going to put in an 8 million BTU boiler into the plant that actually, when I look at what it takes in BTUs to heat a single residence house in Belfast, I find that that boiler could heat every single 437 single residence houses in Belfast. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Matt Wagner of No to NECEC. So um, on the question of how, how our group shares information across the, the community, this, this sort of, um, it was ex we were really behind the eight ball. I mean, CMP did a ton of groundwork. They were years ahead of us in developing these groups and they, they really were shovel ready. They had the Western Mountains and Rivers Corporation, which sounds beautiful, um, fully endorsed their project in exchange for, you know, several million dollars. And who doesn't trust the Western Mountains and Rivers Corporation, you know? Um, it sounded so good. They've got an organization, Mainers for Clean Energy Jobs. Sounds great. You know, who doesn't agree with that? Well, it's, it's Chinbro. Um, they're everywhere. <coughs> so... So what we did, we, had, we really, you know, we, there was about 12 of us that became interveners and we for, founded the nonprofit uh, Say No to NECEC, which is actually hard. Uh, we thought that was, we didn't realize how hard that was going to be uh, to become an actual registered 501c3. We did that and then we immediately said, well, New Hampshire just got this bad idea, you know, buried. How did that work? And we looked into it and we found out that BCM environmental and land law that defeated Northern Pass, the attorneys actually lives in Freiburg, um, and she's phenomenal. And she looked at what we were doing and said, wow, CMP's using Eversource's playbook from Northern Pass. They're doing, they're making all the same mistakes. So she was able to step in with an enormous savings to us um, and really hit the ground running and represents us extremely well. Um, but as far as the grassroots, or more of a grass fire effort that we've been having, um, which has been a lot of fun, uh, Facebook is just incredibly instrumental. I mean, we were able to reach a ton of people, and people are able to share news. Um, we've made a ton of videos. If you're not on our Say No to NECC Facebook page, please join. Um, Sandy Howard will probably accept your request to join within 30 seconds because she's amazing. That's our executive director. Um, so we've written a ton of op-eds, um, which people have probably seen in the papers. Uh, we have tons of comments to the Public Utilities Commission, tons of public testimony to DEP and the Land Use Planning Commission, 
And we've really focused on public outreach and trying to give people very clearly substantiated facts about this project. That's all we have time for today on Main Currents, but be sure to tune in to Radioactive this afternoon at 4.30 for part two of this panel discussion on connecting our struggles, corporations or communities, which will pick up right where we left off. This was recorded on May 29th in Belfast by Meredith DeFrancesco. You've been listening to Main Currents, independent local news, views and culture. I'm Amy Brown. Be sure to catch us here on Main Currents on the first Thursday of every month at 10 o'clock on WERU-FM. You can download archives or subscribe to our podcast at WERU.org and send story ideas and suggestions and feedback to news at WERU.org. Stay tuned for On the Wing with Mark Dyer coming up next here on your community radio station, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU.org.